0: You know, a long time ago, a friend of mine had, you know, he worked for me and stuff. And, you know, we'd be bouncing chew back and forth if we had to. And But I had already kind of quit. I made a, a deal out of it. I told everybody, well, I'm trying to give it up for a while. A month later, I'm asking him for a chew. And he's like, all right, well, you're quitting, right? I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm trying to. And he said, well, give him five minutes and ask me again.
1: Hello and welcome to the Stay Free Forever podcast, episode 11. My name is Clifford Fuel, host of the podcast that aims to help you adapt and thrive. To be able to thrive, one first has to be able to live. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about an addiction that, while decidedly unhealthy, does not come close to causing illness or death in the same numbers as smoking, alcohol, or drugs. As a result, it does not get nearly as much publicity. We're going to talk about smokeless tobacco. Usually called chewing tobacco or just chew. My guest today is 66 year old Stephen Francis Fontanini, a longtime resident of Hoback Junction, Wyoming, who runs his own metal shop and who has chewed tobacco off and on since age 12. Steve is an artist and blacksmith and all around good hand, as they say in these parts. Steve was born and raised in Burbank, California, the second eldest among four sisters. Steve's mom, Grace, was a homemaker. And his dad, also Steve, 91, was a photojournalist for the Los Angeles Times, who still enjoys making pictures in and around his home in nearby Jackson. As a youth, Steve excelled at baseball. He was a popular leader on his little league and high school teams, a strong infielder with a great arm and a keen eye at the plate. Later, he played in an adult league that lost fairly regularly, he says, to semi-pro and single-A teams. Taking after his dad, he was also good with a camera. Steve was photo editor of his high school newspaper and went on to study at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. He says his goal as a kid was always to be some kind of artist. A Couple of summers as a river raft guide in Grand Teton National Park led Steve to relocate to Wyoming. For several years, he guided float trips, pack trips, snowmobile tours, and more in the Tetons and Yellowstone. He also drove school buses, fixed the buses he drove, And got to be around horses again something he had learned to love as a young dude ranch wrangler on family vacations to south dakota he decided to become a farrier and got his degree at the montana state university horseshoeing school in 1985. since that time he has traveled the u.s with his anvils and tools working on all kinds of horses and teaching many clinics along the way today his time in the shop is spent mostly on metal sculptures and custom home projects for clients coast-to-coast and border-to-border. Before I welcome him, I should mention that Steve and I have been friends since 7th grade at St. Robert Bellarmine School in Burbank. Welcome to the Stay Free Forever podcast, Steve Fontanini.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me, Cliff, and hello to all your listeners.
1: Nice. This is something that I appreciate you agreeing to do because um, it's not like I'm running out of addictions to cover, but... um, I see it enough. Wyoming is the leading state for tobacco chewing in the United States. It's like 10 times more than the next closest one, which is West Virginia. Really? Yeah. I want to get to that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about you. Even though we've been friends for 60 years, almost some surprises showed up in your pre-podcast questionnaire. When I asked who you look up to, who did you look up to? You said Tom Wolfe, Paul Gilroy, and Dave Robertson in addition to your parents.
0: Talk about any one of those. Some of these people are from, you know, when we were kids and some were not. Dave Robertson was a Marine. He got blown up a couple of times in Vietnam. And I just learned a lot of stuff from him in life, about life and a lot about baseball, playing baseball. And He was and- my coach
1: too for one season. He was a stellar guy. Very nice, very fair, didn't yell.
0: Yeah, fair and very honest and very fair was... It's a big, big deal to me back in those days as well. So that was early on and others, I can't remember who's on the list all of a sudden, but oh, um, Gilroy. Ah, uh, Gilroy. Yeah. Well, I learned a lot about horses from Gilroy. Uh, as uh harsh, a individual as he can be a little short Irishman. Um, he, uh, was a handy son of a gun and, uh, I kind of get choked up talking about some of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know why I learned a lot of stuff from that, that son of a bitch, you know. <laughs> Tom Wolfe, the writer? No, Tom was the instructor at the Montana State Shoeing School. You know, we ended up being lifelong friends. We shoot horses together, and I, I don't know how many nights I've slept at his house. Really great people, super honest, hardworking working. I learned a ton about it, everything from him, not only shoeing, but, I mean, we drove around together and talking about life, et cetera.
1: What about your mom and dad did you look up to?
0: Well, just that they were always there and always hardworking and, you know, trying to do what they thought was the right thing for all of us as kids. And, and uh, I really learned how to work because of them and really think ahead. My old man is really thinking down the road at every at every possible moment, you know, and that is actually a pretty important skill for anyone that is trying to get somewhere in life, do something with their knowledge and skills. And he came from a pretty poor situation. Anybody that I've ever met in my life that's coming from a pretty poor situation, they all think ahead. And They think about what the next move is and what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and how it affects them and how it affects whatever's close by to them. So there you go. What's a typical day like today? I had designed and started building anvils. I'll say 1999 is when I made my first sketches and I'm in the process of building a trailer to haul them around in so that when I go places are covered so they don't get snowed or rained on. This trailer will have a crane inside it so I can pick them up and set them on people's trucks. So that's today. And normally, whether I've got a sculpture going or whether I've got a house going or part of a house, So if I quit by three or four or run up and hang out with my old man or work my dogs...
1: Then you got sheep to keep them busy, right?
0: I did recently get rid of the sheep. Kind of had a tough summer with my heart, so uh I took one thing off my plate uh and I'm planning on getting more sheep in the spring.
1: You mentioned a heart problem which you said was uh, probably the chief reason that you quit chewing tobacco, but let's go back to age 12. How did you start chewing
0: tobacco at 12? <laughs> Those guys in uh, in the Black Hills, that when we were waiting in between dude rides, the older guys, they'd force me. There was another young guy there, too, the son of the owner, and, and they'd force us to, they'd heal us. So they'd make us run across the yard there, and then they'd ro- try to rope our feet. And um, I don't know, that was our reward was to get a, get a chew. So that's kind of how it all started. Do you remember your first
1: time trying it?
0: Yeah. What was it like? Well, it was a dizzying experience. How long does the dizzying experience
1: last as you start chewing more?
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, you always get a little bit of something like that, you know, when you first put it in. But to me, it depends on how often you do it and how often you don't in periods of time when, um, you know, I'm chewing starting six in the morning and... You know you fall asleep at nine o'clock at night with a chew in your mouth. you don't get that initial i'll call it a buzz quite as much because you're just so uh your body's so full of it all the time you just don't get that feel so if you quit for a little bit, you know and you start up again in a few months, then you'll get that you'll get that initial buzz. It's got three or four
1: times the amount of nicotine as a cigarette, a single chewed up. Did you have a brand of choice?
0: Well, you know, I started out with wintergreen Skull, And then when I got older, you know, those last year or so of high school or moved into Copenhagen and was into the Copenhagen for a long time. I'll say in the late 90s, Skull started making a wintergreen that was long cut so that stuff wouldn't get all over your mouth quite as bad, you know, and you smile at somebody there's little black dots all over your teeth. Well, with a long cut, it's nowhere near that bad.
1: Now, do any of these that you tried or used, do they require actual chewing? Or is it just sitting between your cheek and gum, entering your bloodstream that way?
0: Well, I did a lot of that. Technically, that wintergreen skull or uh, Copenhagen is technically it's called snuff. But the other stuff like Red Man or Mail Pouch, both of those come in a pouch and they're like leaves of tobacco you put in as much as you want in your mouth and you kind of stick it off to the side and chew on it here and there and and spit or not or whatever swallow a lot of people swallow and then there's another stuff dog days it was a solid brick about a half inch thick and maybe two by two and a half inches rectangular and you cut off with your pocket knife you'd cut off a chunk of that and that was similar to the mail pouch or the red man style uh, but it was packed together so you you damn sure chew that it's leafy like tobacco and layered like that so you just cut off as much little corner little chunk and break it apart while you're chewing on it and that stuff in the mail pouch is probably a little easier on a person's body than than the snuff i'll say What's the longest you use? Could you measure it in years? Oh, probably. Yeah. I'll say 15 years without quitting, maybe, maybe 12. But before that, you know, I'd chew for a year or six months and then quit for a year or six months and then get back to it. And then, and after that same kind of deal, you know, you'd quit for a while and just something, you know, whatever those, I know they call them triggers nowadays. I don't, it's like everything I ever did or, and still do is a trigger to me. Um, The smell of a shop, the smell of, you know, smell of horse shit, forget it. You know, you rub a, you rub a horse's neck just to say hi to him and that dust you kick up, you smell that horse and, and, uh, you know, there's another one. Something that makes you want to chew. Yeah. 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 So why did you quit in the first place? Why were you quitting along the way? Well, I don't know that I, you know, a lot of it was, you know, I, I'd go back to California from the Black Hills and you're in, you're in school and they, they would kind of look down on that spitting on the floor in class. <laughs> and, uh, I never was a big swallower, uh, but over the years I had met you know, as a young person, I had met other people, and uh, let's just say South Dakota, and uh, that they, you know, they were chewing in school, but and they were swallowing, and I just never, even even as a little kid, I never really wanted to swallow it. Nowadays, I know that it's definitely a bladder cancer thing. And the more you swallow, the more you're probably going to get bladder cancer. And uh, I, which I've been checked, and I don't have bladder cancer. But if I was to start chewing tomorrow, I still would not swallow it. What did you like best about it? Well, I like that little buzz you get right away. It seems to also kind of keep you energized and like you just had a whole bunch of coffee or, you know, whatever. And um, that's what I liked about it myself anyway, I always felt like the underdog when it came to doing things like shoeing a horse or building something or whatever. And you can't do that stuff if you got a cigarette or a pipe in your hand all the time. You're running behind, it seems to me. Now, I have worked with people that smoke carpenters, et cetera, that are, they're, they're just constantly have a cigarette in their mouth and they're working all the time, but you know, you're not enjoying that. Uh, at least I didn't think so but you put a chew in, you can still get some work done and you can still kind of enjoy the, the tobacco.
1: What about the social aspects of it? Is there some sort of camaraderie among chewers?
0: I guess. I mean, it depends on the people again, to me, um, you know, I had a friend of mine that worked, we shoot a lot of horses together and went places Went, you know, we shoot at the high school national finals rodeo a couple of times. And, you know, we'd chase women together, drink beers together, work in my shop till three o'clock in the morning, making horseshoes. And, and yeah, something like that. There's, yeah, there's a camaraderie and, you know, hey, give me a chew, you know, throw it across the yard or across the room, whatever, because you're out or whatever. and Then you get cussed, and, but you get it anyhow, And blah, blah, blah. So, And other people, you know, I, you, other people that you're kind of close with, yeah.
1: What about interacting with women and chew? How do they respond to it? I mean, what are some responses you've had from <laughs> women over the years?
0: Well, I've dated I don't know how many women that chewed. I was married to a woman that chewed. And I remember <laughs> – I remember – uh, this woman I dated for a while, to, you know, I'd spit out a big hunk of chew and get the big kiss goodnight, you know, and then throw it back in as soon as she jumped out of the truck. So whatever, if they can, you know, they got to put up with cigarettes, which is, you know, really and truly, which is worse. In my mind, cigarettes are much worse because if, you know, you light up a cigarette, it affects everybody around you. You throw a chew in, most of the time people don't even notice. Were you ever rebuffed by
1: a female because you chewed?
0: Um, not that I know of. That's considerable charm. Yeah, I can be full of shit like anybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you quit a bunch of times, but it seems like this last time. How long ago was it that you stopped?
0: Well, I'm not real sure, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say five ish years. And why? Well, this heart problem that I have it's a family thing. everybody's got it or seventy three percent of my the Irish side of my family has it and people people have heart transplants and people have died. My older sister died at age forty one from this thing and and anyway, but i can you know I can feel if I drink too much caffeine too um I can feel my heart acting up. And uh, which it's always done, and uh, even when I was, you know, active playing baseball or active shoeing horses and going hiking or running down the river, or whatever. If I do exercise of any kind, I get my heart rate up around eighty to a hundred or more than that. Um, It it acts funny. It it just made sense to me to cut out chewing tobacco.
1: Is it still hard? Was it hard at the beginning to stop?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would love this stuff. I miss it every day. I, You know, part of me thinks, you know, some days it's like, the hell with it. I'm going to just start again. I don't – what do I care? So I'll die. I'm 66 years old. I've had a good life. You know, been around, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, I, I don't start up again to bum a chew. You see somebody you know and, you know. Would you expect
1: a good friend to refuse you if you asked five years in to bum a chew?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of them I would, and some of them I wouldn't. Uh, it just depends on what their attitude at the time is, you know, and uh, how they're feeling about it all. Personally, I'm not into guiding somebody else's lifestyle or life. And if they want, if they come to me and they want something that they probably shouldn't have, I'll probably give it to them. They're adults, you know as long as I feel that they're not, you know, they're not going to go get in a wreck right away or, or, you know, have this mouthful of tobacco and then go get divorced next morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned the triggers. You said there's a lot of them. How do you deal with the triggers?
0: Well, I just try to ignore them. You know, a long time ago, a friend of mine had, you know, he worked for me and stuff and, you know, we'd be bouncing two back and forth if we had to. And, but I had already kind of quit. I made a, a deal out of it. I told everybody, well, I'm trying to give it up for a while. A month later, I'm asking him for a chew. And he's like, all right, well, you're quitting, right? I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm trying to. And he said, well, give him five minutes and ask me again. So five minutes goes by, you, you know, you're making, you're in the middle of building something or whatever you're doing, and um, you just forget about it. So that's pretty good, A pretty good way of dealing with something like that and then eventually you end up just not asking for it and maybe three four years go by and when you have thought about it and thought well i'm gonna go buy a can you'd say all right well give it five minutes and then five minutes later you know you're under the truck changing the oil and you forget all about it do you consider yourself a chewing tobacco addict in recovery uh i never thought of it that way but I'm not, you know. In a lot of ways, I'm not. I'll call it that modern. You know, I don't label stuff that way like they do now. And I don't, I don't know. So I, you know, I used to chew. Now I don't. If somebody, you or whoever, has to put that kind of label on it, then yeah, I'm a, I'm a recovering tobacco abuser. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So
1: you've got six nieces and nephews. What's the age range there?
0: my sister's kid i'll call her 45 and then my other sister's youngest son is um he's got to be 30 anyhow okay so they range from 30 to
1: 45 all right so if they had kids and you're their great uncle and they told you they were chewing with their friends at school or they were thinking about it what would you tell them
0: oh i'd Probably tell them, you know, you ought to think about that for a bit and maybe not do it or, uh, you know, do it enough to be cool with them and to say you did. And, and uh, but don't do it to where you get past feeling sick. Cause that's usually what is the first thing most people get is they get, they get, they start feeling sick right, you know, right, right then and there. You know. That's what I'd tell them if they ever came to me about that. What have your dental
1: visits been like over the years?
0: Uh, they've been fine. I've had a cavity or two here and there. But I haven't had any problems related to chewing tobacco. And I, I'm, you know, maybe it's luck. Somebody else could be, have run the same exact chewing tobacco gauntlet that I have and their teeth are falling out or their jaws dropping off. or So you ju- you just don't know.
1: Yeah, it is a game of roulette in that respect. Although I was talking to my dentist the other day, and he said that he sees a lot of people who chew, who experience bone loss in their jaw, which makes their teeth loose and they lose teeth. And the ones who get cancer, it's a really fast acting cancer. Not that many people get it. He said one in 10,000 gets oral cancer. But once you get oral cancer, he says it's swift and mean and ugly. Are you familiar with the baseball player, Rick Bender? No. At 25, he noticed he had a small lesion on his tongue. He thought it was a canker sore, and so he ignored it, went back to the doctor, and it still was there. It turned out to be oral cancer. Long story short, he lost half of his tongue. They took out his whole lower jaw, and he now travels around and gives speeches. From the mustache up, he looks like a normal guy. Down below, it's like his whole neck has been sort of squeezed into a funnel he's really articulate about how these tobacco companies market to kids and they're relentless in it because that's the growth market for them.
0: Oh, I'm sure it is. And because the kids are, you know, they're going to see their favorite baseball player or rodeo star or whoever putting a chew in and uh, they're all going to want to do it. And, um, yeah, I remember reading a similar story. I don't remember the kid's name, but it was just a random person, and it got in some magazine. You know, he was 17 or something like that, and they took his lower jaw out. That didn't deter me back in those days, but probably just best stay away from. It. It's like smoking, you know i I never smoked, and uh, except for experimentally, and the same thing with chewing. You know just just stay away from it. Is probably the best thing to do.
1: Well, Steve, as you are well aware, there are three parts to the Stave Free Forever podcast second one has me read from a workbook and someone's response. I looked through a lot of my substance abuse workbooks and came up with a response from a 29-year-old woman who lives in Wyoming who has multiple addiction issues. There are a couple of questions that jumped off the page at me. I'd like to read them to you and get your thoughts, all right? Okay. The workbook reads, hopelessness is a feeling that things will never change. Helplessness is a sense of being unable to change things. The question goes, have you ever felt hopelessness in your life? She wrote, yes. I've hit rock bottom more than once. The other question, have you ever felt helplessness in your life? And explain. She wrote, yes. I let my addictions get the best of me. I never thought it could happen to me, and it did.
0: I guess I've felt hopelessness before, not in regards to tobacco. Just probably in regards to living around here and being broke and not having enough money and the winter's still here and stuff like that. So nothing that I would call as serious as a substance problem. I had both of those in those situations when things weren't going real well or things were blowing up, but never in a uh, substance abuse situation. Because I believe in myself that I've I've just never been that out of control with it.
1: You've always struck me as someone who is very much in control. I wrote that in your introduction that you were a a positive leader on the baseball team because it's not like you sought the job, but people used to ask you stuff. How do I do this? And I used to ask you, how do I hit better? How do I feel better? How come I'm afraid of the ball? (laughs) (laughs) Where do you suppose that comes from?
0: I'm not 100% sure, but somewhere along the line, I learned that KISS method of keep it simple, stupid. I think partially, I'm just kind of lazy, and I don't, I, I don't want to get too deep into anything. It's like, wait a minute, there's a simple solution to this. There's another part to her response.
1: It says, list two sources of your strongest temptations to use and explain what you can do to remove the temptations. So her two temptations were, one, being around it, two, being offered it.
0: (laughs) Well, there's reality for it, you know. If I'm somewhere, there's there's a couple of people that are going to offer it to me. I know they will. And 99% of the time, I turn them down. But again, we're talking about tobacco versus, you know, whatever, heroin or meth or some of these other things that... You know, I'm too. I'm just too scared of to even be in the same room with. Her solution
1: for being around it was leave. Keeps me from potentially using. And when someone would offer it, decline and tell them respectfully that I'm in recovery. That's not what you do, is it?
0: No, that's not. What, <laughs> I don't leave. I just say no and then sit there and, you know, what, or whatever the activity is that we're doing i just say no no thanks and then move on
1: and as you know there are three parts to the stay free forever podcast and the third part has us each share a quote or passage that we find compelling or interesting and talk about it who would you like to go first
0: I think you better, because I don't know what to even say. You didn't prepare a quote or a passage? No, I spaced that out, I guess.
1: Okay. Do you want to just take a moment and think about something that you, or something that Dave or Gilroy or Tom Wolf imparted upon (laughs) you that you consider to be wise words that other people might
0: benefit from? I think that's why I didn't do it, because I gave it that kind of consideration for a minute or so and didn't come up with anything. You know, there's the usual get it hot and hit it hard thing, but uh, that doesn't really seem to work in this situation. Um, Lots of sweaty saddle blankets make for good horses, and it's that way with people. People have told me that in life, too.
1: Lots of sweaty saddle blankets make for good horses and good people.
0: Yeah, because you're working. You're getting something done. And that's actually pretty important for a lot of people. And I think it's pretty important for a lot of people that have addictive situations because you're keeping, not only you're keeping busy, keeping your mind off of the drug or whatever, or the tobacco or whatever, but you're learning a skill and you're moving your life forward. So there you go. Well done. When I
1: think of you, I was thinking of some, trying to think of some of my favorite writers. Thinking which ones would resonate with you. And so I went to Mark Twain. (laughs) Some of them I've read before. Some of them I just looked up. But there are nine that I like. And I'd like to get your first impulse reaction to each one of these. Fair enough?
0: Okay, I'll try.
1: All right. If it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, best to eat the biggest one first.
0: (laughs) Well, I agree with both of those. Why? (laughs) Well, because it's kind of that get it done attitude. You know, get it done, man. Quit (laughs) pissing around. All right. Thank
1: you. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) They're just going along with a flow. It's like my old man told me years and years ago. You know, you got to be on the outside. You got to look at it from a different angle than the others and he meant that he meant that in a photographic sense just pretend you're at a the football game and you're involved making photographs those guys kind of follow the ball around like hive of bees you know well he always said well you got to look at it from a different angle well i didn't take it that way i took it in life in general look at it a little bit different than everybody else
1: i like it My third Mark Twain quote, the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Yeah. Who
0: gives a shit?
1: (laughs) I think that's what he said next.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it was. (laughs) You know, if you don't learn something every day, you're not living. That ties in with what he just said, as far as I'm concerned. So you're ready to roll, you know, when the time comes, you're done. Okay, you're done. And for me personally, you know, 2012, I was dead. End of story. It's just i followed the same pattern that four of my uncles did as far as this heart thing goes. And and because it was the 60s and 70s when they, when they died, you know, they didn't know what the hell was even wrong with them in my situation, if I hadn't have done what I did with the doctors and found my, you know, we found the right doctors, et cetera, I'd be dead too. So, and there's no doubt in my mind, but you know, I was ready to roll at that time and I'm more than ready to roll now, whatever, whatever happens is going to happen. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of stuff and been around a bunch of things and, you know, won some awards for my metal work and blah, 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 blah. So, You know, if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with that. And I think a person needs to get to that point. I think so.
1: My fourth Mark Twain quote for you, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything onto which it is poured.
0: Boy, that's true. Uh, You know, I think back you know as as a young person early 20s and i'm working on something and just getting mattered in hell and throwing shit across wherever and just you end up breaking things then then you got to go back and fix them you know now you know since that time i don't know when i figured that all this out but um you know just let it ride you know you can you can vent you know they talk about venting well okay then Scream and yell or whatever you need to do, but just don't get angry like that and uh, cause more problems than what the, the original problem that you're all angry about is. is.
1: You're reminding me of a, something you told me I don't know, a few years ago. We were talking about hard liquor. I asked you why you didn't join me and my brother-in-law, or at that time soon to be brother-in-law, in a drink of whiskey. And you said, because when I drink whiskey, I tend to get a little pointy in the chesty. What did you mean by that?
0: <laughs> well, I get to be a dickhead and I start poking people in the chest. And generally there are people that are bigger than me, which of course isn't a big deal because I'm not very big. And I don't really want to be that way. You know, letting the anger, letting the jerk come out at me. And I don't need I just don't need to do that. And so you recognize that alcohol
1: lowers your inhibitions in that regard and impairs your judgment in that regard and so you basically swear off that
0: yeah i don't i don't drink whiskey i don't uh, i mean i have in my life i guess but i just don't because of that very reason it's just i don't need to get beat up because i see some bozo over there that needs his chest poked you know
1: <laughs> i it don't sounds like need a it. healthy dose of self awareness
0: Well, I think people got to have that um, self-awareness. I I don't know how how you could get by without it really or without some degree of it anyway in life. All right. Number five on our hit parade of Mark Twain quotes, a
1: man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. (laughs) Yeah, and you
0: won't forget it.
1: (laughs) Do you recall anything, learning something that way in your
0: life? You know, I got a friend of mine, I mean, he used to get so angry and he, he'd, he would physically punch a horse in the face. At one point he shattered his hand and his wrist, like beyond, beyond belief. I, I I mean, I see stuff like that in in life and I, that makes me not want to react that way. You know what I mean?
1: The guy from the last podcast, The Judge, said a smart person learns from his own mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others.
0: Yeah, that part, learning from other people's mistakes, I learned from my older sister because she was the oldest one, you know, and she's making her share of mistakes. And I was sitting back and just not saying it, not being judgmental or anything, but just saying, okay, well, if I get myself in that situation, what am I going to do? I mean, I've pretty much done that a lot of my life and yeah, I've made mistakes by grabbing the tail of the cat and, you know, but you don't forget that if you're learning from somebody else's mistakes, you might forget about that. And then boom, you'll get, you'll get hurt by that particular mistake when you shouldn't have, but you won't forget when you get, you know, that cat whips around and has got you by the throat. You don't forget that. (laughs)
1: All right, four left. Number six, I am an old man and I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember that, that at least that makes me think of uh, both times I got divorced. You know, it was like this horrific thing and life is going to be so messed up and crazy afterwards. And, uh, you know, it's just not true. Now Life is uh, going to go on. And if you're a relatively honest person, trying to do your best with everything that you do all the time then that isn't a problem
1: number seven there are basically two types of people people who accomplish things and people who claim to have accomplished things the first group is less crowded
0: (laughs) boy is that true (laughs) all the stuff i've done you get in the horseshoeing world you get in any kind of dude world, whether it's pack trips or hunting camp or even snow machining into Yellowstone or wherever. And it just, uh, you know, everybody's full of shit. Everybody's done this. They've done that. They got this going for them. They got that. And you sit back and you watch them and you know, they, they got none of it. <laughs> so you just gotta be careful and you just, you're going to talk to talk, walk to walk, you know, get it done.
1: All right. On a related note, number eight, thunder is good. Thunder is impressive, but it is lightning that does the work.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs>
1: Said the man who hammers red hot steel for a living. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, eventually you got to get it done, whatever it is. You know, I know thunder scares the dogs, but lightning kills the dogs.
1: Ah, I'm gonna have to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, the last one, life would be infinitely happier if we could only be born at the age of 80 and gradually approach 18.
0: Yeah, I remember reading that. I don't know if I was in grade school or junior high. And yeah, life is backwards. You know, you're struggling, you're 19 years old, you're not making money. And In theory, you're trying to learn something, learn how to live, learn how to make a living, learn how to whatever the skill is that you have an interest in. And um, it'd be nice if you could get paid for that. (laughs) In that regard, what he says, life is kind of backwards.
1: Yeah, it seems like we're at the height of our physical powers in our 20s and 30s. And we're at the height of our mental capacity when we're in our fifties and sixties. And wouldn't it be nice if you kind of squeeze the two together?
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's what your goal in life really is is to be as physically whatever you need to be for your life and your, your lifestyle and your job and all that and have plenty of brain power to go with it. That's where a lot of people just don't get it done. I don't know how to get it done. I I came close, but I'm definitely smarter now than I ever was. And certainly physically, I'm, you know, a useless pustule. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what haven't I asked you or what haven't we talked about? Did you think is worth talking about?
0: I think we covered it pretty well, to tell you the truth. I do
1: too. I'm really grateful to you for talking turkey about tobacco because it's it's really nasty stuff. The fact that you've stopped for five years is a good achievement. I hope someone out there can take some inspiration from that.
0: Yeah, just don't mess with it if you can avoid it in any possible way. If you're in the throes of using it, just find ways to back off just instead of chewing 24 hours a day, cut it back to 12, <laughs> you know, whatever. Certainly it's not like heroin or anything, but I will I will say a long time ago a friend of mine's a longtime friend of mine's a veterinarian and he told me that chewing tobacco is much more difficult to actually quit than heroin. Find a way, back off. Start out by backing off. Because the triggers you you know, you're not gonna change your life. You're just not. People don't do that. Years ago, I had a chiropractor, you know, I've had back problems a long time. Chiropractor told me to quit my job as a farrier. And and I just couldn't believe he'd even say that to me. And I, of course, never did. But uh, you just have to find out how to work through it all so that you're not damaging yourself. So and with tobacco, uh, same thing. And, And if you're into if you're a drug person, you know, just keep cutting back, just cut back. And then a year later, cut back even more. And eventually, you know, maybe you'll get a really good handle on it and can just stop totally.
1: That sounds like good advice. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate your taking the time to do this. I know you're a busy fellow. I appreciate it. Okay. And say hi to your dad for me.
0: Sounds good. Drive safely.
1: The Stay Free Forever podcast is recorded and produced by Clifford Fuel, owner of Stay Free Forever LLC, a Colorado and Wyoming company. Stay Free Forever provides adult and youth life skills courses via both e-learning and mailed workbooks, plus Zoom classes for any age group. Our theme music was composed and performed by James Benjamin Fuel. Editing and technical assistance are provided by Mary Tulin. My name is Molly Moore. For more information, go to stayfreeforever.com or email clifford at stayfreeforever.com.